Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. I'm reading out of John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stood, stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. When they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and they had that he had spoken these things to her. Then at the same evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, 
unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. If you are here in Minnesota watching this live stream broadcast, you're fully aware of the weather outside. If you're watching from anywhere else in the nation, you may not be aware of what's going on. But yesterday, we had, yeah, I think it was about 60 degree weather. It's a beautiful day. And uh, my wife and I and my two grandchildren, we went for a ride through the country. We went and did some walking around and just enjoyed God's creation while social distancing, by the way. <laughs> but we enjoyed God's creation. It was so beautiful. And it was such a relaxing time to get out and just to enjoy the, the warmer weather after such a long winter. Well, if you're familiar with Minnesota, if you don't like the weather, just wait 15 minutes and it'll change again. And sure enough, today we have snow. And I was reflecting on that, how fast things change. I mean, it just goes from one extreme to the other. Amazing. You know, with what's been going on in our culture right now, in fact, in the world, not just our culture, but in the world, with this COVID-19, how fast things have changed, haven't they? You think about it. I mean, a couple months ago, I heard the word social distancing. I thought, that's such a weird term. I don't even know what they're talking about. At one point, someone said to me, you know, uh, maybe we ought to stop shaking hands and just do a fist, or not a fist bump, but like an elbow bump or something like that in church. And I thought, oh man, that is, that's, just, that's, just, that's just too radical. That's such a, such a drastic change. And yet look where we are now. Things have changed so fast. We think about the disciples following Jesus for three years, roughly, and he's teaching them about his death and resurrection, and he's, he's beginning, you know, he started out just giving them baby steps in believing in it, but at, towards the end of his life, he started laying it out just clear as day, and, and yet, you know, for so many thousands of years, the Jewish people waiting for their Messiah, it seemed like nothing changed, right? They're just going on through their, through their motions. And then one day, one day, everything changed. A lot of things changed on resurrection morning. And we're going to look at that this morning. I have about six things that I've written down that, that changed on resurrection morning. And they had a major change. There was a major change. 
So what changed on resurrection morning? Well, the very first thing that changed was doubt turned into faith. The disciples, you can go through the different gospel accounts, they did not believe the reports of the women who had came to the tomb first and reported, hey, the, the tomb is empty. Jesus isn't there. They, they, it's like it just was too hard for them to comprehend. And so they doubted it. Jesus' own half-brothers, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Throughout his ministry, they, they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he had a Messiah complex. I mean, this guy's just crazy. He's nuts. They even mocked him. But that was until they saw the risen Lord. The resurrection changed all that. James, who many scholars believe was probably the oldest of the half-brothers of Jesus, he earned a reputation called Old Camel Knees. The reason why was his, his knees were so calloused, they looked like a camel's knees, literally. That's because he was spent so much time on, on his knees praying. He became a great leader in the early church. Fox's Book of Martyrs describes his death as a martyr. At the age of 94, he was beaten and stoned by the Jews, but he didn't die. And so finally, they literally crushed his head with a fuller's club. They just clubbed him to death. This was one of the half-brothers that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until that resurrection morning. There was another brother, another half-brother of Jesus by the name of Jude. He wrote the letter of Jude in our Bibles, in our New Testaments. According to Fox's Book of Martyrs, he was crucified at Edessa in A.D. 72. Over the years... There have been many skeptics that have attempted to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in so many cases, many of them, they end up actually becoming believers in Jesus when they start examining all the facts. If you are a skeptic here this morning, a doubter, you're like, you know, I just, I just don't know if I really believe this, that Jesus literally rose from the dead. My prayer for you this morning is that you will experience the resurrected Jesus in your life, even today, in this week. In fact, I'm going to say a prayer right now. Heavenly Father, I just pray for anybody that's listening to this broadcast that maybe is just a little bit skeptical, not really sure, they're tuning in, just kind of wanting to listen, but they're, they're really not sure about this. Lord, I pray that even this week, you would reveal yourself to them in a mighty way that would remove all doubt and that they might uh, turn to you in belief and have that saving faith in Jesus Christ, their Savior. I pray that and ask that in Jesus' name, even now. Amen. You know, the Bible says that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So I just want to encourage you. If you really want to know Jesus in a, in a real way, seek him. In fact, read the Gospel of John and if you are serious and diligent about it, God will reward you with revealing himself to you. What else changed resurrection morning? We know that doubt turned into faith. 
And you think about all those people that uh, witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They died, many of them. In fact, almost all of them died for their testimony that they had seen the risen Christ. But what else changed resurrection morning? Well, doubt turned into faith. Denial turned into a cover-up. As we read in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them that his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. A Roman soldier charged with guarding a prisoner, if, they, if their prisoner escaped, they would pay, bear the punishment that their prisoner was supposed to bear. So on the, on the punishment of death, here Jesus, the tomb is empty. They, they were in charge of guarding the tomb. The tomb's empty. What do they do? So they went and reported this. And the deniers, the Jewish leaders that hated Jesus, that delivered him up to be crucified, they paid off those Roman soldiers. They had to cover up the truth of the resurrected Christ. I mean, after all, what do you do about an empty tomb? I mentioned this earlier but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul records a list of those who had personally and physically saw the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection. And he mentions this. He says, After he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. Now, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, was written about 21 to 22 years after Christ's resurrection. And so Paul is saying here, hey, there's about 500 people that saw Jesus at one time, and a lot of them are still alive. And this is like two decades later. No one recounted their testimony of having seen the resurrection, resurrected Savior, and no one was able to recover the body. No one came forward and said, hey, hey, these guys, this isn't true. We found the body. Nobody did. Listen, if you are in denial about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a major problem because you have to address the empty tomb. What else changed on resurrection morning? Death no longer is the final arbiter. You think about it. Death is so powerful. Death negates everything. If you owe a lot of debt and you're struggling to pay your debt, I don't encourage you to do this, but if you die, <laughs> hey, you're released from your debt. Death is that powerful. You don't have to pay your debts anymore. Now, your surviving relatives might have to pay you know, from out of your estate. But death negates everything. In fact, even taxes. Again, they've, they've kind of figured out a way to tax your 
your inheritance or whatever, but, but you, you're scot-free when you die. All contracts are negated by the powerful death, even marriage. Death is so powerful that it strikes fear into the heart of everybody. Many people will do something under the threat of death that they would not normally do in any other situation. But if they're threatened with death, they'll do it. There, of course, is the notable exception, and that's these witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were threatened with death. Hey, recant that you saw a resurrected Savior. They said, we can't, we can't recant. We can't deny the truth. Even upon the threat of death, and many of them, in fact, most of them, died for their testimony. You know, whole industries have arisen to prevent or at least to prolong the inevitable, right? We've got the health product industry, uh, exercise industries, gyms, all these things people are so involved with. Why? Because they want to prolong that inevitable thing, death. Death is also the great equalizer. The meanest, toughest, baddest guy on the block if when he dies, he's no different than the 98-pound weakling <laughs> that, you know, is just a, just a pushover when he dies. There's, there's no difference. Death equalizes everything. In fact, the richest, most powerful, most successful dead guy is no different than the poorest, least insignificant dead guy because death equalizes everything and death is so powerful, it's inevitable, and it's universal. They did a study recently, and the experts agree 10 out of 10 people will die. Eventually, anyways. But you see, the resurrection morning changed all of that. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, just as he said he would. Earlier in Christ's ministry in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, the, 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 the Pharisees, the scribes, they're, they're, they're trying to trap Jesus and they're, they're, they're just questioning him. And so in chapter 12, verse 38, it says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And you thought that whole Jonah and the whale story was just a fairy tale for kids. Your Jesus mentions it as a reality. It happened. But that was a picture of what would happen to Jesus Christ. In John 10, verses 17 through 18, Jesus said this, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now, I, I guess someone might have enough power to take their own life, but no one has the power to take it back up again. 
to, 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 to be resurrected from the dead, but Jesus Christ did. Romans 6 verse 9, Paul says this, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. How does that impact us? Well, the writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 2 verses 14 through 15, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, the believer in Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear death anymore. Death doesn't have that power over us that it once had. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed all of that. We no longer have to be in bondage to sin and death. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the Bible teaches us that all of those who put their trust in Christ for their salvation, they also will be resurrected from the dead one day. Paul has a beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talking about the resurrection. And he says this in verses 19 through 20. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. In other words, what Paul is saying is if Christianity was just a belief system or a moral code to live by, and that was all that it was, and that it just mattered in this life, boy, pity us. But he continues. He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Peter says this, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You and I as believers, we don't have this, this hope like, well, you know, I hope I win the lotto someday. We have a living hope in the resurrection, in our resurrection, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. Paul wrote this, Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In fact, Jesus himself said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You wonder why the Bible talks so much about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because it's the foundation of our faith. Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, nothing matters. Literally, nothing matters. But because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it makes all the difference in the world. So death is no longer the final arbiter. What else changed resurrection morning? 
damnation is no longer inevitable. You might say, whoa, <laughs> that seems kind of severe. Listen, before resurrection morning, damnation was inevitable. And you don't have to take my word for it. Let me read something to you out of Psalms chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Paul put it this way in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one except for Jesus Christ himself who ever lived that never sinned. We've all sinned. And as a result of that, we've all fallen short of God's standard of, of holiness and perfection. And there's a price to pay. In Romans 6.23, we're told the wages of sin is death. So before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, damnation was inevitable because we're all sinners. But Romans 6.23 doesn't end there. It continues and says, but the gift of God is, in, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord because of the resurrection. Jesus said this in John 3, verses 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And as I read at the end of John chapter 20, verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name, eternal life. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, he was just, for the unjust, that's you and I, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, damnation is no longer inevitable. What else changed resurrection morning? Perfect love was demonstrated. Perfect love was demonstrated. 1 John 3, verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That perfect love was, was demonstrated in Jesus Christ's death for your and my sins. 1 John 4, verse 9, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. There's no greater love than that a father would send his son, his only son, to die for the sins of others. God manifested that love to us. That's perfect love. That was demonstrated on resurrection morning. Last night I was talking with my grandson 
and uh, he, he came in the office there and where I was preparing and, and he said, so what are you, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I, I kind of shared a little bit and I said, you know, we're going to talk about the things that had changed. And he said, uh, are you going to talk about the veil? And I said, you know, I thought about that, but I wasn't sure if I was going to mention it. But you know what? That's number six. <laughs> Thank you, Josiah. <laughs> what else changed resurrection morning? The veil of division was torn away. The veil in the temple. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says that there was a great earthquake and the veil in the temple tore in two from top to bottom. That veil, it separated the holy place where the priests would minister their daily offerings and, and sacrifices and, and, and the incense. They keep all that stuff. Uh, they maintain all those things in the holy place. It separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where God's glory dwelled. The holiness of God at the mercy seat, above the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And so this veil separated those two places within the temple. We read that that veil was 60 feet high 30 feet wide, 10 inches thick. Not your average drapery. It was so heavy, it took 300 priests to lift it up, to support it, to suspend it when they, when they put it up. That is what separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The holy place, or I should say the holy of holies, that place could only be entered once a year on the Day of Atonement. And there was only one person that could enter that, and that was the high priest that year could enter in. And he would go in and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people on the Day of Atonement. But not until he had first offered sacrifices for his own sin. Because if he went in there and he hadn't done that, he would have died in the presence of a holy God. When Jesus died on the cross he said it is finished in other words the price is paid in full and when that price was paid the Bible says there was a great earthquake and that's when the temple veil tore from the top to the bottom in other words there wasn't a couple guys on the bottom yanking it or anything it was a picture of God ripping open the veil, so that you and I could enter into the holy place. Can you imagine being one of the priests ministering in the holy place? Because this was over the Passover. And they're in there ministering, and all of a sudden there's this great earthquake, and now they're staring right into the holy of holies. It's significant. Because God made a way for you and I to enter into his presence now through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I who have, our, have put our trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we have a living hope that we will be re resurrected from the dead one day as well. And we will live in eternity with Christ. In fact, the Bible even mentions, you, you know, the, speaking about death, the Bible even mentions in the last chapter of resurrection, or excuse me, of revelations, we could call it the last chapter of resurrection, but last chapter of revelation speaks about the fact that our final enemy, death and Hades, will be cast into the lake of fire, destroyed forever. And so what changed resurrection morning? Man, everything changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here this morning sharing this gospel, this, this good news with you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. You probably wouldn't even be watching me if it wasn't for that. But praise God, Jesus rose from the dead to set us free from the, from the power of sin and the power of death and to give us eternal life. And so that's why we're celebrating this morning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross. God, for demonstrating the greatest love of sending your only son to pay the price for those who have sinned against you. And Jesus, we thank you, Lord and Savior, that you were willing to die on the cross for us. That for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. The Lord, the joy that was set before you was each one of us, knowing that you would be setting us free from sin and death. And so we thank you for your obedience to the Father. We thank you that because of your great love, you endured the cross for us. And we are so thankful that you rose again from the dead, proving that your sacrifice was accepted and proving that now death no longer has power that it once had. And so we thank you, Lord God. We rejoice in your resurrection. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.